Rockstar Podcast, episode 153. We sit down with author Matthew John Benicky, who's a speculative fictional writing. We talk about authoring, we talk about Amazon, we talk about all kinds of things. The line in the desert, yeah, and even conspiracy theorists, that and much more. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Rockstar Podcast, episode 153. We had to take the month of August off because my co-host decided to like be all like, well, I'm this and I'm here and I'm there, but... Sorry. We did one new episode, right? Uh, yeah, we oh, did no. one. We did not do one new yeah, episode. I, I showed up for one new episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, and I said, I, I said, I said, basically, f you. You've taken August off. I'm not showing up now. Oh man. Yeah. And uh, Aggie was. You had one Friday off. I did. Mariano yeah. had six, which is odd. No, I had only one. Four in August. I had. I had only one. We oh, no, I had two. I'm guilty. It oh, was two. me. It was all my fault. I only but went, I'm here. I only went to Georgia once, and then the next week we were we you, we canceled. And yeah. then the week after I showed up, and nobody else did. Well, I got sick and tired of being stood up. I was sitting <laughs> here by myself. There's like seven episodes out there you guys don't even know about. It's just Lorenzo talking to himself. Yeah, right. no, I'm actually it's reading the book. No, <laughs> no, he, no, he, no does, he does it a lot. Fantastic. Uh, and the good part about it is um, that um, nobody cared. No, 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 I don't think. Well, we don't know. They may have. Well, I did learn if you let the podcast sit out there for a while, the numbers dramatically increase in in listens. So apparently, so thanks everybody. Yeah, oh, I've been I've been telling all my friends about it. Nice marketing. <laughs> Way to go. Hey, I mean, <laughs> word of mouth. It's the best marketing, right? Okay, Procter and Gamble or whatever that cold <laughs> can thing was there. Um, you've been telling people. I have. As a matter of fact, one of my um, one of my customers. Yeah. Um, which I'll say on the podcast, Vision Source. Yeah. Um, the head of marketing, uh, uh, we meet on a regular basis, and she talked to me. She met with me the other day, and the first thing she said was, "Oh my God, I loved your podcast last wow. week." Wow. So I was like, nice work. "What did I say on it?" I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> oh no! She, it was the CPAP machine. <laughs> oh, the CPAP <laughs> what machine. Talking about. That's good. Okay. okay. Well, today we have a guest. <laughs> they need to learn to let things. They need to learn. You to mean they simmer. because the millennial you know, thing? No, no. This is this. Well, the funny part is, is on the Bellcast, right? The other podcast I did, Mike, who is also the millennial, always speeds up. No, no, no. Listen to this. Always speeds up the beginning conversation because they feel bad for the guest they want. And my approach is, if a guest has never been on a podcast before, they like to see our dynamics so they feel a little comfortable. Plus, I get to talk more in the beginning. So, in the first five minutes. With that said, we have a guest. He's an author, and I don't read. Aggie, take it away. <laughs> Welcome, Matt. How are you? How's it going? Thanks for having me. Yes, so we have Matt Benicky, who is here, and he is going to be joining us. So, sorry to jump to it. I think, I know it's a millennial tendency. However, I think it's just because I'm very type A. I'm like, let's mm-hmm. get down to business. Yeah. We're here for a reason. We got 45 minutes to do this. <laughs> Wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> oh, okay. The podcast. I got you. I got you. Matt, did you, uh, you're here at Bell Works. Um, you're an author. And I'm going to get right into it. You're a Miami Heat fan. And I'm okay with that because I'm a Brooklyn Net fan and we both hate the Knicks. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so we got that out of the way. Uh, a speculative fictional author? Yep. That's the job. Okay. Each one of those words, explain them to me slowly. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So speculative fiction uh, was a term that I actually didn't even know about when I started writing. Uh, I encountered a published author who I was hitting up for some advice about you know, the publishing world in general. And I had, she asked me to explain my book. And that is the single hardest question I have when people say, well, what's, what's your series about? I don't know why, but that, that's tough for me to answer concisely. And speculative fiction is a great way to, to start that conversation. Basically, it pulls from a 
a bunch of different areas. So a little bit of horror, a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of adventure. Um, and basically, you take all those elements together, and that's your speculative fiction. Hmm. Okay, so you can speculate fiction, which means you can really say whatever the hell you yeah. want. If Pretty much. Mistaken, <laughs> yeah. So you're kind of like the president. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, you're drawing things on maps with Sharpies, right? Okay, right. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yes. Now, your current book? The Quest for the Key just came out on Sunday the 1st. Sunday the 1st. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. The one that, the third one is the one I'm, I know the Quest was was coming out, but Mm -hmm. the, what's the other book? The Lion, uh, what the heck? The Lion in the Desert? Yes. Yes. Yep, that's book. So one. you don't know what that's about, or you do know what that's about? <laughs> I do. Well, okay. I've had enough time with that one to okay. uh, to sort of you know perfect that elevator pitch. Okay. Um, but the books are all connected in a, sort of like a, a meta narrative. So there's one big story that I'm telling through the five books. Okay. Uh, but the problem is that usually when you read a series, each book is more or less the same as you work your way through. And for mine, that's not the case. So the first book is distinctly one way, the second book is a different way, and then so on all the way through. Okay. But by the end, it'll be one cohesive story that goes, and you know, start to Do finish. we find out someone's father, who someone's father is at the end? <laughs> well, yeah, in a, in a way. And actually. it's not the seeker, right? You're not going to no, tell no. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're like... No, that's not the Shyamalan twist. <laughs> okay, okay. Yes, Mariana. And it's, it's uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's the... Uh, I'm going to per, uh, forgive me if I don't pronounce this correctly. It's the cosmogonia. Cosmogonia. Yeah. And and it what is that? What does that word mean to you? What is it? Where did it come from? So it's the Greek derivation of the word cosmogony. So cosmogony is the study of the origins of the universe. Cosmology. Cos. Is that- Cosmogony. Cosmogony. Cosmology. Oh, universe. Or cosmetology. We're studying the universe. That's what we're talking about. Studying the universe, right. Not L'Oreal, you know, no makeup stuff here. Um, And it was something I was really interested in in college. I went to school originally for business, and you wouldn't usually associate those two things, but that was something that I learned about in, uh, in, you know, some liberal arts courses. And I don't know, it just, it it really struck me as interesting, right, that we have so many different... um, cultures, religions, and then there's science, there's all these different aspects. And one thing that sort of comes up across the board is, well, how did we get started, right? Start and finish. And no matter where you are, that's something that can, you know, you're connected to. So that, to me, was an interesting point. I started to think, well, you know, religions have their own origin stories, and then science has its own, like the Big Bang Theory and, and everything like that. So it would be interesting to sort of look at what commonalities there are between them all and see if I could use that as sort of like a plot point even um, in the books. And you find any? I did, actually, yeah. Oh, okay. So um, it was more, I, w- I was shooting more secular. I didn't really want to dive into, you know, religious stuff. Um, and then with the hard science, too, you know, you can't get too involved with that because, you know, then if there's anything that's incorrect, you're going to get ripped apart. So I-, I tried to toe the line between those two. And, I, you know, I found something that I thought was interesting, so... I, I use that in one of the books. Did you um, did you come? You said you came out of college as, uh, which with bachelor's in business administration and finance. Um, I'm assuming you didn't come right out and start writing books. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that journey for you? How did you? Sure, I can get tell you. That? April 9th, 1990, was the day that I wanted to become a writer. That was wow. when I had a, a an awful, awful poem published in the Bay News in Brooklyn. It was a local newspaper, and I don't know what it was, but it was just something about... It was about, about animals. See, well, it was, it was about <laughs> yes. animals. If oh, you could recite it, please. It's <laughs> no, Thank okay. God I don't remember it. Okay. But it was more... I, I don't know what it was. It wasn't like the fame aspect. It wasn't like seeing my name in print. I think it was more just the fact that something I wrote got published. So it was like, hey, something I did was, you know, 
viewed as worthy of being shared with other people. <laughs> and my mom was always big into Stephen King. She was the big influence for me growing up. So she read a lot. And so I was always surrounded by books and music and, and most of the interests I have now probably stemmed, you know, from that era. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really wanted to write. That was the career path I wanted to, to pursue. But my parents really wanted me, they figured that's something I could do later in life, and they wanted me to have more of a, a, a firm financial foundation than they had. So they said, well, go into business. You could you know, do the writing thing later and get established. And though there was a time where I struggled with it because I didn't want to go that route career path-wise. I met my wife in college. So many of the things I have now came from that you know, experience um, in that business education. And so I de it's definitely not something that I regret. Um, mm -hmm. But the writing interest was always there. It was something that I, I did sort of on the side, you know, as a passion project during college. And then as I pursued, you know, the business career and then shifted gears, each, each gear shift brought me closer to writing as a career, uh, essentially. So that's how I wound up, you know, on that continuum, I guess. Great. Did that not start in fourth grade with Miss... Diviasi and Miss Mail. It did. Yeah, it Indeed. Did. It did. Tell us about that. Sure. So uh, I always wow. enjoyed. You're going to learn. Gonna oh, learn. This is good. I don't read, but I read. <laughs> yeah. So I had great teachers throughout elementary school, really influential, really influential women. But Michelle Shapiro, Diviasi, and Nancy Mail were probably the two most influential and important ones because um, Miss Shapiro introduced me to writing, you know, creative writing. Um, but she also had, she, her big thing, her claim to fame was the fourth grade school play. So every year she did a different Disney production. I was the shyest, nerdiest kid you can imagine. And I got cast to be the beast in Beauty and the Beast. So terrifying until, you know, the curtain went up. Then still terrifying, but a, a good experience overall. Um, so that really introduced me more to the creative side of things. And then with Mrs. Mail, she really emphasized creative writing. And to that point, there really wasn't anything that I had thought of as, as a creative outlet or an interest or whatever. But I remember I had the one thing you probably don't have on there is my lime green uh, marble notebook that I still have. That was where I wrote all of my stories. And they were, again, terrible stories. But they were a way for me to sort of explore something that I didn't know I needed to explore. But you have that own. book because those teachers gave you permission to write. Absolutely. Yes. And not so even I permission. Have that I still have a picture of it. Fair enough. Well, Indeed. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. 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 Uh, but that was a big thing, right? You, I saw, I forgot what article it was, but basically um, you were not given permission as a fourth grader understanding mm. it, but they didn't push you away from whatever you were right. writing. And for a boy in fourth grade, you could write weird things. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, and sci -fi, if you like that kind of stuff. So was that uh, what part of Star Wars? Because you like Star Wars, right? Are you a Star Wars fan? I am a Star Wars fan. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, I sort of toe that line. I'm, okay. I guess, slightly more Star Wars guy than Star Trek, but I'm not a Trekkie or whatever okay. the, the Star Wars equivalent would be. Uh, was that, when the, what was that, Return of the Jedi, probably around? I, I'm only asking because, like, were you writing sci-fi stuff back then as well? Well, I guess in a way, it was more alien stuff, so I guess that's still sci-fi, but yeah. I didn't think of it as, as sci-fi, because there was a show called Sightings that, you know, we used to watch on, like, Fox. Fox. So the yeah, most yeah. random, yeah. I would stay up late with my parents, and that, oh, this yeah. is what they had on, so... Um, at the time, I remember in that green notebook, it was my alien friends. I think was the name of the series. And well, there was, were a lot like, of alien like types that, so. programming on Fox specifically, if I'm not mistaken. Right? I think so. Like yeah, early nine. I think it was. Um, but I remember the show Sightings. Uh, I don't read. I'm okay. not really a sci-fi guy, but I'm not anti-sci-fi guy. I collected comic books and stuff like that. Um, when, when you, when did it become a business, or when did you do you think of it as a business? Do you? 
you know, deadlines. Like, right, let me put it this way. When you, do you have to publish a book to become an author in the real, in the world of, or can you go it's independent? That's a great question. Like, can you be independent and still be considered? That is the central question that I wrestled with for like 10 years. I hope you've gotten over it. Because <laughs> I have. Yeah, no, because I get it. Like, there are certain things, as a designer, there are certain protocols that you think but does, nobody certifies you, so you think the certification is publication. Well, that's you, you hit it right, the nail on the head there, right? It's, it's validation, the way I think of yeah. it, in terms of uh, not necessarily an endorsement, but someone else in a position of influence saying you are worthy of doing this, right? And the problem with independent publishing, which is what I've the, the, the route that I've taken, is uh, the way I looked at it was anybody here can go into Microsoft Word and type up, just hold down the, the A button, right? Mm -hmm. The A key, get... 100 pages, send it in, and slap a cover on and call it a book and print it. And it could be for sale right next to mine. Let me just interrupt because this is a funny part. I had to write an essay in like fourth grade, and in the middle of it, I wrote the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, man. To <laughs> fill the gap. <laughs> right. Awesome. And I don't think I got caught, but I think I might have. I don't know, but I, I filled the – so you said the A's, and I'm like, yeah, that, I do that. It was memorable. <laughs> yes. Right. So for me, I wrestled with that. I said, well, if, if that's what I'm doing – if, I, if someone else can do the same thing that I'm doing, then, then how can I stand here and call myself a writer or be an author? And though it seemed obvious, because my wife was vehemently against that position, she said the, the obvious, and what should have seemed obvious to me at the time was there's a huge difference, right, between just holding on a key on a keyboard and crafting an actual book and an actual story. Um, my dream from when I was a kid was to be a published author, right, to go the traditional publishing route, have an agent, and all that stuff. And that was the route that I was going until I met a Star Trek guy, which is hmm. a funny connection here. So this guy, Mike, that I went to grad school with had done the novelizations for about 30 different Star Trek movies, television shows. Hmm. So he was the real deal. He knew Stephen King. They used to go to conventions together. So this guy, in my eyes, was the real deal. And the first thing he told me was, don't go the traditional route. So I was wary at first because I thought, well, maybe this guy just doesn't want the competition, but who am I? You know. Yeah. So we, uh, we spoke about it further, and it turns out that the whole landscape has changed, right? So back when I really first started looking into this around like 2005, 2006, self-publishing was for people who were impatient. It was for people who weren't skilled enough to land the publishing contracts. Now, fast forward to 2019, it's a completely different realm. And what he said at the time was he would get these publishing contracts, sell out the run within a matter of days, sometimes hours, and it wouldn't get picked up again because they would go in favor of something else. So he and some of these other traditionally published authors banded together and made their own independent publishing house. And he explained the benefits of doing that, where you're in control of the marketing, you're in control of you know, the branding and all that. And as a traditionally published author, you're still stuck with the onus of marketing yourself. Only like the top 1% of books that you see you know, out there really get the backing of a, of a publisher with marketing teams and everything. So if you're gonna have to do it yourself anyway, why hand over, you know, percentages control, of yourself, right, right and, and creative control. So you sound like it's a, you're in the same world as a musician. You Pretty, went through the same thing, right? So, exactly, and, and for me, I, I guess if I had to describe myself, I, I feel like I'm like a Venn diagram, right? So I have lots of different interests, and I'm sort of in the middle of all of them. So music is another big one for me, photography too, but, but music and writing mm -hmm. are my two big ones, and so I'm sort of innately aware of the changes in the musical, the musical uh, landscape. I'm still strange in that I buy music, right? If there's bands I support, I get the digital copies and Slipknot. stuff. Slipknot. Slipknot for sure. Um, 
And so, but I've seen the, the change. I've seen the impact. I've seen the changes at concerts and, and, and whatnot. And you can see the same thing in the world of books. When I was growing up in Brooklyn at King's Plaza, I think there were four different bookstores uh, all within the Murder Inc. Do you remember that, that bookstore, Murder Inc. in the city? No. That was like one of the most popular, but like small. And it, it was in the 90s too. My friend would take me there with his grandmother and stuff like that. I think I read maybe when I went there. <laughs> we get the comic books, right? That's still reading. So, yeah. oh, you oh, yeah. write it. Is. Comic books yeah. is definitely still reading. Right. Say. Uh, um, well, I think that you know, you say you don't read, but you do read. No, I read all day. That's why I just it's the it's the uh, it's not that I don't enjoy reading. It's just I'm not willing to take the time to spend time just absolutely intimately. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. I, I was going to say that it's really interesting that you've drawn that story of. Uh, from from what it was traditionally to self-publishing, because I do think self-publishing is becoming, you know, it, it used to be a status symbol to be picked up by a publisher, mm -hmm. you know, but now it's it's more like the people who hustle, the people who are willing to do the work. They figure if I'm going to do this anyway, I might as well do it. Um, and I and I did check out Amazon. You did get a lot of praise for your first first book in the uh, Cosmogonia series. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of a lot of the things that I noticed is your command of the English language was something that people consistently commented on. Um, so uh, tell me, I mean, I it's it's actually got me interested and want to read the book. And and tell me about that that process of promoting yourself. Are you a good self promoter? Do you market yourself well? And what steps do you take to kind of let people know, hey, a new book is coming out, you know, how do you gain those followers? But only use real fancy words. Fa uh, only <laughs> fancy real words. fancy words. Okay, okay. sure. Yes. Um, so um, in terms of the self publishing part, uh, to touch on a point that you made, I thought of a phrase, what is it? The cream of the crop rises to the top, right? Somebody had said that. And when I committed myself to the idea of going the independent route, I always figured, well, if my writing is good enough, then sooner or later, it'll get picked up, it'll get recognized, and it'll be separated from the, the masses. Because there is, there's a lot of stuff that's out there that is rushed. Uh, I've gotten asked to do reviews for books that really weren't ready, which makes it difficult. And I mean, there, there's just a lot that goes into it. And for me, I've always prided myself on the quality of the writing, mm -hmm. uh, because I, f I guess right at the end of, it was post uh, business degree, but pre uh, master's work, I had to take some additional English courses, literature to get into the graduate program. And then throughout the graduate program, I had all this exposure that I didn't have to literature, you know, great English, Irish authors um, that obviously weren't a part of the business, you know, um, curriculum. And I fell in love with their use of language. So James Joyce, like, I never thought Stephen Ulysses, King would be supplanted. Ulysses, right. But, yeah, Ulysses, hands down. If, if anybody said, what's the greatest thing ever written, I would say it's Ulysses because mm. of what he does with the language where um, there's just so much meaning and so much so many layers to it. Um, and one of the, the big influences for me right around the same time was a television show called Lost. So Lost mm -hmm. was huge. And what I loved about it was the fact that you could dive so deeply into that. You could watch the surface show and appreciate you know, what happened. But if you were really into it, you could really get into that mythology. Oh, and yeah. from a writing standpoint, that's what Joyce did. He had just so much packed in there. And I loved popular fiction, right? So I loved the Stephen Kings, the Michael Crichtons, but there's always been this stigma against sci-fi, against horror, that it's, you know, this pop 
culture junk, you know, writing. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think that the writing is is bad just because it's, you know, a, a given just genre. Topic, but right. there is a difference between literary fiction and popular fiction. And I was interested in both. And from a writing standpoint, I was more interested in the literary fiction. And so as I really started to look at this as a possible, you know, professional path, I said, well, why not marry both? Like have the, the plot and fun sensibilities of the pop stuff. But really bring in the the hardcore writing stuff. And my goal, um, or my challenge rather, was to find a way to do that without being, first of all, pedantic. There's, there's, there's one you. big word for you. Um, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Because that was what I noticed in grad school. It's just so many of you know the MFA students, they wrote literary fiction, but they also came across as folks who wrote literary fiction. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to be standoffish. I didn't want my stuff to come across as, you know, unapproachable. So I had to find a way, you know, really not to use the vocabulary as much, but to incorporate, you know, metaphors, similes, uh, alliteration, all these literary elements that for the, the, casual, the casual reader may not pick up on, but, sub, you know, subconsciously or subliminally as they're reading, it may, you know, spark something and they might, may find it interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what my goal was with these books, was I didn't want it to be just, you know, like a pop fiction sort of deal. I wanted it to have some sort of body to it so that, you know, someone could say, well, hey, look, here's this speculative fiction book or a fantasy book or, or whatever that's, that's really, really well written. And that, that's really, that would be the biggest praise I think that I could get. Let's go back to the Venn diagram of you. I think that it's really interesting that, you know, as a creative person, you have so many different outlets, and I'm going to guess that you use those outlets to kind of derive some inspiration. So talk a little bit about how you're able to continuously inspire yourself. You are in a creative space that's difficult. Sure. Um, well, what's funny was I didn't consider myself or even realize I had any creative skills until I was like 17. It was the beginning of senior year of high school. And all of a sudden they said, hey, just so you know, if you don't take a music class, you can't graduate. And I was like at the top of my class. I'm like, all right, well, we have to resolve this. So they have, gave me five choices. And I said, which is the one that doesn't have a public performance at the end, and it wound up being guitar. And so well, I took beast power to really set you down. You would have thought that would have like sparked it, but yeah, you went the other I, way. I wasn't having any of it. Um, and so that experience is what completely opened up this this notion of exploring creative realms and stuff. And I guess obviously it was always latent, you know, in terms of the music interest, photography, and all this stuff. But that it snowballed from there. So in terms of the writing and stuff, like I love every aspect of what goes into making a book. I love, you know, cover design and, and doing all those things. And that's what keeps it interesting and fresh for me. You know, I can look at certain things and go, oh, that would be really cool. A, a Slipknot t-shirt, right? I may see something on that that, uh, you know, I'll earmark and say, okay, I can do something with that for, you know, a book cover or something like that. So I try to incorporate, again, all of those different interests and I try to find a way to, to mix it together. What people don't realize is that Slipknot actually sings. Yeah, well, they actually sing. They don't. They're not like thrash metal. Right. Yes. Yes. I, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm a Guar fan. Uh, okay. Back, in, back. Yeah. Back in the day. So, but Slipknot. Um, following on Aggie's thought, when you write, do you think, and maybe you do one or the other, do you think you write more for yourself, or are you sometimes too preoccupied with your audience and making them happy? And have you ever had that challenge? That's a great question. Uh, it's 100% for myself because I figure two things. One, if I'm happy with it and no one else is, at least I can stand by the fact that I accomplished something. Mm -hmm. If I put something out and everyone else is happy with it and I'm not, then I have to deal with that 
forever. But the, the music- mortgage gets paid. Well, yeah, I mean, potentially you know, there's, there's good stuff, right? Yeah, there's that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, so it is. It's finding a happy medium. Right. And, and I think of it uh, again, going back to music where, you know, you see these bands that write these hits, especially ones that, you know, were maybe outside the realm of what they usually did. And that's what they got famous for. And you can see it 20 years later. They're still playing that song and they hate it. They hate every second of it. Well, Maroon hmm. 5 really got the popularity right when they went to um, the show. Um, oh, my God. Uh, the Voice. The voice, which, the, yeah, the, right. the whole band didn't want him to do it. And all of a sudden, they went nuts with even more popularity. So sometimes going outside of your comfort zone and doing things. Yeah. But, and the reason why I asked that was because I just wonder if, like, you know, you want a storyline to go a certain way, in a sense. But, mm-hmm. like, you said that the books all have connections on some level. Right. Have you thought of the seventh book already? And are you pushing it that way? Or, like... Yeah, so so everything started from a single idea that I said, hey, this would be cool to do something with, like maybe put it down as a story. And so I, initially it was, wasn't even a novel. It was really just more something that I thought I could punch out a couple paragraphs with and go from there. And then the more I fleshed it out, the more I realized, hey, this could be a book. And then as I started to write the book, I realized, whoop, nope, there's a lot more here than, than I realized initially. So... I had, I, I think of it as a balloon, right? So I started out with d- the balloon itself and I've just been inflating it with air, but it's always been the same endpoints, top and bottom. So mm-hmm. I've always been working towards the endpoint that I came up with when I came up with the beginning of Did the first book. you tell us the ending so, right now? Just uh, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Finally so close, I got one more book to go. I, I don't read, I'm just, so. is there, what do you think about audio? Like, where are you in the world of audiobooks? Do you think the author should do it? Do you like it? Are you like, do you hate Amazon? Do you love Amazon? I love Amazon. Good. That's the next, um, enterprise that I'm shooting towards. So I, I, again, like being a musician, I have all sorts of audio equipment. I have experience with, you know, editing audio files and stuff. Um, and I know that there are some authors who do their own. Um, I try to mask that, that Brooklyn accent. That's something I've done. I, I've learned to, to train it for quite a while. It's more when I get really excited or start speaking really quickly that it really, you know, starts Comes to out, come out. Yeah. So as long as I can do a, a good enough job on my own, I would prefer to do it myself. And that is something that, it's funny, I think the comment that I've gotten the most from folks about who didn't buy the book or buy any of the books was, oh, I would have gotten this if it was on an audiobook. Mm. So that was something that mm. I, yeah, all no, I do, listen. All I, I, like, I, the, the Zappos book, Tony Shea, mm-hmm. 36 hours. I listened to it over like three weeks. Wow. In the car yeah. or? Just while I work, right? right? But, reading Pete the Cat last night for my daughter with seven pages, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. And there's three words on each page. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I just, I just don't, it doesn't trans, and I think it's because as a designer, I'm so visual that I don't want to do visual things, and reading is not a good thing for me, but yeah. audiobook, but yes, audiobook, yes. Right, um, no. If you need a deep <clears throat> voice, just let me know. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, I, I actually have one other, one other question for you. Um, what kind of, it sounds like you've had a, a really interesting path to become an author, and you, that path is, is continuing now. Um, first of all, what is your, do you have a favorite book that you've written so far? Like, and, and, and the other question is, once you've answered that, is how did you, what advice would you give to people who are aspiring to be authors to get to that point where they have written a favorite book? Took my question. Oh, man. Sure. Sorry. No, those are all Stop. good questions. All right, Let me edit. <laughs> Hold on. Aggie, go ahead. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of that, that path, the funny thing is the, I, I, I guess maybe 10 years ago, um, 
I was at a position where I said, okay, I'm really going to pursue this writing as a, as a professional, you know, venture. And it was right when we had, so I had just graduated with my master's degree in education. So actually I was getting ready to go into the classroom and my wife and I went to Ireland to celebrate and came back and found out that there was a hiring freeze in place for new teachers and she was pregnant. So <laughs> fast forward to January of the next year. I know the story, man. Yeah, I still yeah, had, no, I got it right here in front of me. Still had the hiring freeze, you know, in, in effect. And it was one of those things where I was in a better position to jump back into the professional realm than my wife would be, you know, being out of business for, for so long. So to make a long story short, I decided that I would stay home, you know, with, with Tim and hopefully then use that time to work on writing and stuff. And I said, when he's in school full time, then I'm going to really pursue this. And then we had Sarah and then we had Jack. So it just kept getting pushed forward to Bro. September. <laughs> well, right. Hey, so <laughs> se- September 5th, Mazel. 2019 wound up being the day set in stone and uh, which was obviously Christmas lights at Empire State Building. Yesterday. Oh, well, that was a big, a big moment, too. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, but. The, the actual date um, was this past Thursday when Jack started kindergarten full-time. So now I'm in that wide-open phase of finally being able to explore these things professionally. Um, to circle back to your question though, about the books, so, it, it, you know, the, the stereotypical answer is always the latest book, right? Or, right, or the first one. So for me, my third book is still, I think, my favorite because that was the first one when I wrote it. And I read, I read through it, and I said, "Wow, th- okay, this this is the best representation of what I wanted to do." Like, if someone said, "What is your writing like?" That's the one that I would hand them. So, the Metamorphoses for me is is my favorite. The you know, the line in the desert was the first, right? So that's always going to be special. The Quest for the Key was the most fun that I've had writing because there's so much visual stuff to it, and I got to work with an awesome artist, Anthony Jensen from Brooklyn, and we just cre- he created 24 different characters, uh, the visual representations of 24 different characters which wow. told me that I had 24 different characters that I didn't even realize were in the book. Right. Which leads to, so. you ever play the game F, Mary Kill? Do you know what that is? <laughs> yeah. Are yes. you a Howard Stern fan? No, okay, not really, but I, but I know. Do you know what that is? Okay. Yes. So I'll give you the three choices. You ready? All right. Uh, F, Mary Kill. <laughs> the TV version of The Stand. Okay. Final Fantasy. Oh. Or Lost. So who are you effing, who are you marrying, and who are you killing? <laughs> oh, man. All right. I, I, uh, You're definitely killing the lo- uh, lost. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. I'd have to kill lost. You're gonna marry. I'm marrying Final Fantasy. No, you know what? I'm gonna marry the stand because if there was one book that I had to read over okay. and over forever, it would be that. Okay. So that's longevity. You're gonna have Final Fantasy uh, right through the roof. Uh, all right. Just <laughs> all day, every day. All right. Only with a sci-fi geek like me and him could we get this. Yeah. No, that was great. I'm totally happy with it. Absolutely. Um, the Final Fantasy stuff. Uh, are you, do you still game a lot? I do, and um, so I've played all of the uh, console versions except for thirteen or fifteen, and I was specifically holding off on those because of the Quest for the Key, because I knew after that book, what's coming in the the final book is something that I think inhabiting that sort of headspace would really help me in terms of the writing. So now that I'm ready to, to jump into that, I'm going to start playing, I think, more 15 than 13. But uh, just being in that sort of, like, you know, creative realm or whatever is really going to help. And who's the, there's the one, uh, she's married to Ashton Kutcher. Uh, oh, my God. She does the... Uh, Mila Kunis? Yeah, she's huge on Final Fantasy. I didn't realize that. She has, a, yeah, she played, she gamed for, she was, like, addicted for, like, seven years. She had to finally stop. Wow. Um, wow. I don't, I've not, I've... 
played it, but I'm not like a Final Fantasy guy. What, was it the like the MMO ones, like the uh, you know, MMX okay. MMO? I don't know. Like no, I have no, no. It was probably I think it was probably from like 03 to like. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, like the console. So she like OG. Like, is that like real hardcore? I don't know. Like, well, no. Like, so when I do gaming, I do console stuff just on my own. Like, I play the story mode. I don't get involved with playing online. You know, with other people. And that's those are the types of games where, like, you know, I I had a guy that played. I think it was World of Warcraft, Mm -hmm. and he played for I want to say it was like thirty-eight hours straight. And he said he went to dinner that night, and um, he lived in Chinatown, so they were having rice with dinner. And he said that he tried to grab the chopsticks, and his hand molded back into the shape of the mouse because it just <laughs> held it and he couldn't actually This is it, the best so. part because wow. only from one geek to another oh, yeah, absolutely. can we make stories up like this bullshit <laughs> where we say we game so much that we have to go to the guy who's like, yeah, I, I know I played Madden for like five hours or five days straight, but that dude over there, <laughs> right, he played for like two weeks right? straight. It justifies us. Yeah, guys, absolutely. Right? Guy, no, totally. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm considered a gamer, but I played sports games all the time. Um, I think Tomb Raider was like the last thing that I really got into. I think you're considered a gamer. I think I am. I think so. It's been a long time. Maybe I'm a gamer and I like to read and I just don't find the time for it. (laughs) Because you have to game so much? Yeah, yeah, I have a crazy six year old kid. Um, Are you a conspiracy theorist? I am not a conspiracy theorist. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Do I believe in Bigfoot? I guess. I I don't not believe in Bigfoot. I just think sci fi and stuff like that. So I always wonder the mindset of someone who's that. And usually in sci fi, you actually use like facts, which might be foreign to some locations in the country. <laughs> um, so I just wondered, yeah. yeah. Well, see, the, the, and that's the funny thing. That's why I'm so glad I found speculative fiction because the closest thing I had come up with was science fiction, and I'm sure any real hardcore sci-fi fan would pick up one of my books and go, what is this? Okay, this so what's a, the real difference between, like, just so I understand it better, what's the real difference between speculative and sci-fi? Like sure, so, so speculative fiction can have parts of sci-fi in it, but science fiction has sort of more of a, a tried and true set of, of rules, right? So there's hard science fiction where it's like, you know, s- s- in space, 30,000 years in the future, and there's all these, you know, hardcore science principles behind it. Right. Then they look at it and they say, oh my God, how could that possibly be happening? And, and I'm like, I'm looking at a movie where laser beams are coming out right. of Anything could really happen. But they get right. mad if you do it a certain way that's wrong, right? Right, exactly. And okay. then lower sci-fi, I guess, probably just has like elements of like technology or, or certain things like that. Uh, whereas for me, my interests are more... I would use the Twilight Zone as as my like jumping off point. So, mm-hmm. however you would categorize the Twilight Zone is probably how you would categorize Bizarre my stuff. F. So, yeah, yeah. R- but pulls. For, you can watch one episode and it's about yeah. space people. You can watch another episode and it's about you know this weird medical stuff. And then another episode, it's somebody in a plane that sees a a, a monster, <laughs> a monster something. on the wing. So absolutely <laughs> right. So, so speculative fiction is more just a little bit of again that Venn diagram, right? Just a little bit of of everything, everything. but nothing n- nothing significant enough to say, oh, that's a hundred percent this book or that book or you know, genre you brought up science you brought up uh the the twilight zone mm-hmm. did you see the new series i have the jordan peele one not yet <laughs> not um yet. okay i was really excited about it until i saw all the reviews now yeah, hesitant I, about it uh i like jordan peele a lot i was a big fan of you're going um, into the sci-fi sense now yeah, because yeah. you're looking at reviews saying this is the way it should be you should be open-minded <laughs> and watch it. Fair don't enough. fall into that i'm gonna help you here yeah no Right. No, but I'm serious. It's a good point. So is there a is there a night where like the sci-fi guy meets the speculative guy and you both can agree on making fun of another group of persons within this world and be like, well, at least we're not them. Not really. Never. And and that's well, it's funny because I guess that's a challenge too as as an author is you you have to 
be appealing to as many different you know groups of people as possible, I right. guess. Um, and it's funny enough, I, I don't know why it keeps going back to Slipknot, but I had met Corey Taylor, uh, I guess, two years ago now at the Stone Pony. It took him three hours to get there from the city. He was late. He was sweaty. He was tired. And he was the coolest guy ever. And one of the things that he talked about in that show, too, was about how, like, you can't alienate yourself, you know, as a musician or a creative person right. from these groups of people, even from within. And I looked around, and I would, I would probably say I was the most, quote-unquote, normal-looking person there, right, if you go by stereotypical, you know, expectations. Uh, but we were all there for the same thing. And that's something that really, you know, stuck with me, especially when I thought forward to my career, if, you know, if I ever had, like, a big book signing somewhere. And, you know, you never know the types of folks that are going to show up mm -hmm. and if they're there for you you have to treat them because you, you don't know, know who's behind same, like if so. we looked on our podcast we might be like wait you listen to this shit mm -hmm. yeah but yeah, you know you it's know. really interesting because you're writing something that <clears throat> that speaks to a broad audience so you have to be you have to i think you have to look at those experiences as um you know we may not agree on everything but we're but we at least can understand that we're you know, we're, we're right. the same with this. Uh, before uh, before we get too close to wrapping up, I wanted to ask you about one more we're thing. We're not. Sure. We're not. No, you have to go somewhere? No, I don't have to go anywhere. Okay. <laughs> um, do you want to talk a little bit about the beer whispers? Sure, the beer whisperers. <laughs> um, proud of yourself, right? You got. <laughs> yeah, no. That... You guys really did your homework. I've, you carried this whole thing. It's great. <laughs> well, let's have a moment of like you two are friendly. We right? are. So I yeah. figured you would either go full in or like lay back and chill. So yeah, this is nice. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you, but go, but go into good, it. Sorry. Yes, yes. So before I get into it, are, is anybody here into beer? I know Aggie is a little bit. Mm -hmm. Are you guys into craft beer? Or? I. I'm not a beer drinker. I'm not a big beer drinker. No. Okay. No. Calories, that's what you're worried about. I, no, it's just I, I've never Your hips? Yeah, my hips. My hips. You don't lie. Months, <laughs> I don't not I don't not like craft beer. I just I just know like there's like five beers that I won't drink. Right. And then outside of that, I'm I'm good to I mean, go. that I'm sounds a, like a great title for a book, by the way. Five beers I won't <laughs> drink. <laughs> I don't know if those, I don't know if those brands yeah. will be excited about the five brands. I won't you could self right. you could self publish. I I mean I I grew up in Boston, which arguably there's a lot of craft beer that started there and, you know Sam Adams and so on um so I mean I've I've tasted a lot of beers and there are certain occasions where I where I'm good with beers but mm -hmm. I I've never kind of I'm not a big alcohol drinker He's a prosecco anyway guy. but right I'm a prosecco yeah but hey. no, I'm, the, the, the best beer or the best spirit or whatever is the one you like the most. Mm -hmm. I've heard that yeah. more times than I can remember, and it's true. Or the one in um, my hand. Yeah, that's the other correct answer, yeah. too, yeah. Uh, whatever's closest. Uh, for me, yeah, so in 06, um, we started to get more, my wife and I, um, you know, we would go out and, and try all, like, the fruity drinks at Applebee's and do all this, you know, these different things or whatever. But then I kind of got bored with that. And I was at um, a distributor in Brooklyn, and they had this Beers of the World pack. And I literally stopped and, like, backtracked, walked backwards and looked at it and said, oh, my God, I can have beer from, you know, Singapore and, and all over the world. You know, I'm in. And the beer itself wasn't particularly great. I'm sure it was super old now that I know what I know um, <laughs> about those packs. But it... It just, again, I, 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 for lack of a better term, it sparked that creativity. And I was like, wow, there's so much more to this than I realized. And so it snowballed from there. And fast forward to 2011, I had tried a number of beers by that point, And we had been to a number of breweries. Now, this was before it really started to blow up. Like, I mean, it was already getting big at that point, craft beer. But in terms of New Jersey, New York, yeah. I mean, it, you could actually go to all the different ones that they had and, and you know, say that you've been to all of them. Now, forget about it. Um, 
But because of the writing and because of the travel interests and all that stuff, I said, well, this would be cool to do some kind of writing related to this. Like, I wasn't big on, like, travel blogs and stuff for my, my Can you, you know, do myself, it, though, so. when you're, like, really hammered? That might be, like, cool. That would be... That <laughs> An would, audio book. That might make a better podcast. Fucking Brooklyn Log is so good. Yeah. You I start the book... You start and then the you book just stop after, like, four without seconds. Drinking. That's the, every episode is seven seconds, then, and that's well, it. And no, like, every episode is 30 minutes, and you start drinking at the beginning of the episode episode and see where you go. There are... No. Every yeah. episode is seven <laughs> seconds, and you're already hammered, and you're done, because everybody likes to quit. Okay, good, sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, that's like Drunk History, right? You guys ever see that show? Yes. On the, I love it. Oh, that, I don't think I have. No, oh, I don't okay. think I have. Definitely check it out. 100%. Oh, we need to do this. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. Um, <laughs> homework. Homework. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's okay. really, really funny. I'm gathering um, it's historical stuff that uh, with a drunk person or the guy who's drunk. Long story short, so they there's a host and they have like a celebrity guest or, or whoever okay. who is just, compl- they get completely hammered yeah. and then that person has to retell a historical oh. story, something about history. Or okay. And they reenact it on the screen with other actors. So they film based on how they say it. What, oh, what it was. So it's, it's Must amazing. Must Google now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, it, so in 2011, I decided to, to try a blog um, where really the, the impetus was to help get the word out of for breweries that we liked. A lot of these were smaller, almost mom and pop sort of organizations, right. you know, and I said, hey, we really like this place. They were really nice to us. I'll throw something up online and, and we'll see what happened. Fast forward, I wound up having Dogfish Head follow the blog, which wow. was one of the big ones yeah. um, on, on Twitter. I think at one point I had 12 out of the 50 top breweries in the United States following the Beer Whispers on Twitter, which Fantastic. was never anything I was shooting for. And that just goes to show you how, you know, things can sort of snowball on their own, you know, um, based on the quality of the stuff mm-hmm. that's there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, you like to go visit a place that I made some of my formative nights at uh, Bear Mountain. Oh, yeah. We're actually right? going to be Now, when I heard you say that, I'm like, wait a second. You're from down here, right? Yeah. Right? You went from, what would you say, Brooklyn? From Brooklyn, yeah. To here. So Bear Mountain is, because I'm from Bergen County. So oh, nice. So we would okay. go up there. Yep. Harriman Park. If, yep. Yeah. Right up yeah. 17, right? Yeah. Yeah. There were some interesting evenings those nights. <laughs> um, how did you end up at Bear Mountain? I'm just, just, just curious. How did you find it? Because uh, Brooklyn say, to Monmouth County, I don't see what the Bear Mountain part in the middle. Yeah, no. Uh, so my cousin from Brooklyn um, gravitated further north uh, over time, and she was really huge in the outdoors, and she gave me an opportunity to come hiking with them. And just being in Harriman blew my mind. And f- then we found out about Bear Mountain after that, and so we went. But it's funny that you mentioned that because we're going with the kids, if the weather's good, this weekend or next for their first ascent. Uh, mm-hmm. up the mountain. So they've done, I don't know if you've heard of Mount Tammany out at the Delaware Water Gap. Yep. So in sliding succession, my oldest son did it when he was six, my daughter did it when she was five, and then my little guy did it when he was four. All the way up, all the way down. Okay. Wow. So it was them. fun. They, and, you know, again, you it's like an adventure. them or do you punk no. them? No. <laughs> I, I had to have him take a break. Well, Jack way easier so than energy, Disney, by the so. way. Let me tell you that story. Oh, my God. Sure. At Magic Kingdom, but don't let me get started on that. <laughs> um, the, um, the line in the desert, I think if you spoke something about, about a recurring nightmare. Yes. Right? And the reason I say that is because I had one when I was a child, which is what, when you said it, it stuck out to me. And it was, I guess it was probably like 12 years old. She's like, I could tell she's laughing over there. No, um, I'm just like uh, really interested in hearing what so the recurring nightmare I was. So had, I had a, rec- a nightmare dream. I'm telling you for, I remember it so distinctly that I must have had it for probably off and on for two years. Wow. Where it's just random. You know, like dreams get weird, so this might get a little weird. I was basically on the corner of my parents' bed but I was like miniature size, and there was a boulder coming from the other end of the rock of the bed, and it was coming like the Indiana Jones thing, like, yeah, yeah, and like night sweats from like 
like eight to 12 years old, just off and on, I would have this weird dream. So I don't know why I just shared that, but I, you said that, and I'm like, maybe I should at least listen to Lion in the Desert on audiobook when it comes out. But what the, because you talked about the nightmare, and then you talked about um, the, uh, the second coming, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So just explain a little bit more about that book. Sure. So the influences for that were all post-apocalyptic stuff. Is it personal? That's what it was. That, is the, it a, for you personal? Uh, it, it is. Okay. Yeah. So the, the dream, the specific dream that I had, it, it's a little hazy, but I do remember... I was throwing this boulder they, on this bed. Yeah, yeah. And there was this little guy at the other end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that would be amazing. Um, would yeah. Be, I'd leave. It, 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 whatever it was, it was just some sort of like apocalyptic sort of dream. Uh, and um, I remember... Finally, at the end, it was one of those things that, like, you get you wake up right before the end. Well, yeah. one time it got to the end, and it was this, like, television screen. And on the TV screen, I saw, like, you know, tanks and airplanes and all this yeah. kind of stuff, whatever. I was going to say, did you see a well? And no, no, no. <laughs> but but the, the next day, when I got home from school, I found out that we had invaded Iraq. I think it was, like, wow. 91 or something like oh, that. Wow. And I freaked out because a lot of the things that I saw on the TV were similar to what I saw in the dream. Right. Of course, you know, you pair it up. So that that experience stayed with me. Um, and so that was really the genesis for this idea for the, uh, right. what do you call it, for the recurring nightmare part of it. The Second Coming was a poem that I read in one of those Irish literature courses. Right. And though it's about World War I, uh, specifically, I didn't. I took it as more of like a macro view, sort of like I was at, again at the time I was in sh into you know post-apocalyptic stuff like the stand um, mm. and other things like that. So I took it as more of a like an end of the world type of thing. And so that lion slouching out of the desert uh, towards Bethlehem, it, for me, it, it actually means two things. It's it's the the antagonist, but it's also the the hero, right? Because lions represent strength and pride and stuff, but they're also terrifying predators that'll rip your face off. Yeah, we so, are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you are you, are you a Leo? Okay, I'll give it three seconds. I'm Italian, everything, and I thought that the horoscopes went by month. So until I was 13, I thought I was a Leo because I was born in August. I had the Leo thing. Right. And then I found out I was a Virgo. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's a hard shit. He loves that ever. story. Such a, such a Lorenzo story. Yeah, did you like, uh, you said the, uh, the Joyce, right? Yeah. Okay. Did you like the, did you read the Frankenstein? That, the. Yeah, Mary Shelley. So like, did you, do you like the horror, like that old style horror as well? Like oh, uh, gothic horror. Yeah. Gothic yeah. horror is amazing for, from a literature standpoint. It, it's genuinely like grippingly like. Terrifying. It, it is, so. yes. Yeah. Well, what's amazing to me is that Mary Shelley wrote that as a party. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Exactly. You know, it's a party. Did she write get that? there. She. She. She was Did at a party. For that. She. She was at a party, and they. I think they were all challenged to write yes. a book. Um, over. Let me go write Frankenstein. Of, and yeah. and she wrote she wrote Frankenstein as as a dare as a yeah. challenge essentially, and she uh, she wrote it in a very short period of time, a week or, yeah, or so less. And um, and it became Frankenstein, and you know we're all talking about it on this podcast okay. in yes, 2019. We, we sure are. Any closers? Yes. So for uh, our listeners, how can they find out more about you and your books? Uh, great question. Thanks for asking it. Um, my primary website is matthewjohnbenicky.com, but I uh, interact mostly with folks on Twitter, so they can find me at Matthew J Benicky there. How do you spell uh, your last name? B E N. E C K E. Okay. Uh, I'm also on Instagram um, and Facebook, Goodreads, but my website's the best 
you can use that as a jumping off point. So uh, MatthewJohnBenneke.com. Awesome. Well, everybody should go read his books. Let me close it out with one question. Do you have like a secret pen name or a dirty pen name that we can know about? I do not. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have gone full Is full that what it is? Name, I do so, not? Yeah. Hey, that'd be great. Not anonymous. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Thank you for listening. Rockstar Podcast episode. I forgot what number. 153 is in the can. Bye. <laughs>